Man, I don't know what you think of Tiger Woods, and I'm not asking you to really think anything. I just can't help but to get compelled and intrigued by just watching that scene unfold, because this was someone who was down and out. Did you hear what Jim Nance said at the very beginning of that video? He said, many said we would never see it. And then that putt falls, and he says, the return to glory. I mean, they were wondering if he would ever even play golf again, and he wins his fifth Masters tournament, his fifth green jacket. We're captivated by comeback stories. We're intrigued by them. We desire to connect with them. And maybe you don't connect with Tiger Woods this morning, and that's okay. Uh, Maybe for you, it's more of a Robert Downey Jr. You're kind of more in that vibe. And all the ladies said yes and amen. Um, But listen, you may not know this about Robert Robert Downey Jr., but Robert was uh, considered unhirable for years. He struggled with alcohol and drug addiction. He actually found himself in prison for a short period of time. And then he began to make a comeback. And now he's one of the most highest paid actors in all of Hollywood. I mean, he got to be Iron Man in the Avengers. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I am Iron Man. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And maybe that's not even it for you. Maybe for you, you are still hanging on to the 80s and your short shorts. And I'm not talking about the ladies. I'm talking about the fellas. They're coming back. They're making a comeback. I know, some of the ladies up here are like, no, no. My wife feels the same way. We were having a conversation this week in my house and my boys are in this season where they're trying to follow the fashion trends. And I'm like, boys, your shorts are getting a little short. And uh, they're like, no, dad, they're cool that way. And then one day one of them came home and they were actually rolled. And I was like, oh, hang on, hang on. (laughs) So I walked in the back, rolled my shorts, walked out in the living room and my wife goes, oh, that's terrible. And Braden, my oldest said, I don't know, dad, it might work. You just need to get some tan on those legs, you know? Hey, free the man thigh, that's all I'm saying. Short shorts are making a comeback and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Maybe it's your backyard, your backyard oasis until Valentine's Day week and now it's an oasis and it's dead and you're waiting for it to make its comeback because you got a lot invested in that backyard oasis. My point is, is that we are compelled by comeback stories. And over the next several weeks, our teaching team here is going to be walking through this series, comeback season. And there's really two reasons for that. One is it's comeback season. There are a lot of us who have kind of gotten back into a normal routine and rhythm of life, and we kind of got out of the routine and rhythm of life pre-COVID, and now it's time to kind of figure that out and be intentional about that. We'll talk about that in a second. The other side of that is we've all experienced some setbacks, We've all experienced some things over the last several months, maybe the last couple of years that have really set us back. And we've had a really difficult time getting our feet back underneath us, feeling like we're catching our breath again. And so over the next several weeks, that's what we're gonna talk about. But maybe you've heard this quote said by someone, I actually tried to look it up to see who actually said this and there's not really any confirmation. But the quote is simply this. It says that a setback is a perfect opportunity for a comeback. Every setback you and I find ourselves in. Everything we experience that feels like a setback is an opportunity. And this is more than a rah-rah, you can do it. But I think even Jesus talks about this. Jesus points this out to us. He tells us that we will experience setbacks. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his followers. He's speaking to this audience of people from all these different backgrounds, people listening to what he's saying, intrigued by what he's doing, the life that he's living. And he begins to talk about setbacks. He begins to illustrate it in a really 
specific way that I think is important for us to see. And so let's pick it up. At the end of this sermon, Jesus, this is that moment where um, the pastor gets to the end of his message. And sometimes maybe you've been in a church before where when it gets to that point in the message, music starts playing. And you're kind of like, why is the music playing? Are they trying to like tell him it's time to go because we got to go eat lunch? What is it? And, and sometimes I even do that. And I'm going to do it today. I'm just going to give you a warning. I'm going to do it today. But the reason is, is because like it's that moment where like, hey, don't miss this final moment. Don't miss this final thing that's gonna help you understand everything that I've just said and why it's important. So at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven, starting in verse 24, Jesus says this to everybody that's listening. He says, therefore, everyone, everyone that's listening on that day, everyone here today, online in the room, listening, this is for us, for every single one of us to consider these things. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. It's important because we're going to contrast that in a second. Why did it not fall? Because it had its foundation on the rock. So Jesus is saying, hey, there's a, there's a storm that could come. And let's just kind of break it down into four words because I'm pretty simple-minded. I can get really... Um, confused easily. I don't know if you can relate, but let's just break it down like this. See, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, he who hears, so hear what he's saying, hear what he's, what, hear what he's trying to help you understand, put it into practice, and if you put it into practice, you become like the wise people, the wise men, wise women who build their house on the rock so that when the storm comes, the house does not fall. Well, that sounds pretty good. Then Jesus wants to warn us. He wants us to really understand what he's talking about. So he continues on in verse 27. He says this. Maybe. Verse 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So he gives us two options. We talked about the first one. The second one is simply this. You want to break it down into four words. Let's make it simple again. It's simply this, to hear, to hear and to listen and to understand what Jesus is saying, but then to dismiss it. We'd be like the foolish men, the foolish women. And when the storm comes, it says it's going to fall. The house is going to fall with a great crash. It's a warning. Jesus is wanting us to see something. He's saying, hey, don't miss this. He's saying, I just shared all this truth with you, all the way through Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, leading up to verse 24. Jesus has spoken all of this truth. And he's saying, hey, don't miss this. He's saying, it's not enough for you to simply know the things that I've just said. It's not enough for you to know a little bit about me. It's not enough for you to know some of the things that I did. It's not enough to know some people who know me, some people who maybe listen and then go do and live like wise so that their house will stand on the rock. He said, that's not enough. It's not enough to sing songs about me. It's not enough to sing songs to me. It's not enough to post or share a social media post about him. What Jesus is saying, he's saying it's not enough just to know the information. He's saying, you've got to do something with it. He's saying, listen and do. What he's calling out is really the greatest struggle that you and I struggle with, wrestle with on a daily basis. It's ultimately who's going to call the shots in my life? Who's gonna call the shots in your life? 
Oftentimes, I can fall into the trap where I say, I'm gonna call the shots in my own life. I'm gonna do what I wanna do when I wanna do it because I think I know best. Or I'm gonna watch what everybody else is doing and then I'm gonna make my decisions on what I should do based on what everybody else is doing. Or maybe some of the people around me that are close to me, I'm saying, hey, hey, help me out. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, no, 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 just listen. Listen and trust me. Understand what I am telling you. He's saying it's not important what you know. It's important who you know, because when you know Jesus, then you can trust Jesus. And when you can trust Jesus, you'll be willing to do the things that he's called you to do because you realize that his ways are better than your own ways, than my own ways. You know, over the last several months, we've walked through some really bizarre times. A little over a year ago, everything was kind of going about. You were planning for summer vacations, wrapping up the school year. Everything was probably good at work maybe. And all of a sudden, this thing called COVID-19 shows up. That's a setback. That's a setback that every single one of us can connect to because it's impacted every single one of us all across the world. It literally shut the world down. And in that, we began to struggle with the insecurity of our employment, the insecurity of our finances. All of a sudden, we found ourselves in a place of isolation, disconnected from people that we love, disconnected from people that we spend time with. Our children are disconnected or are pulled out of their schools and they're, they're at home in a critical time where social development is taking place that's helping them mature into who they're supposed to be. These are all setbacks that we're experiencing. These are all storms. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying there will be storms that show up in your life. Maybe you've already been through one. Maybe you're currently in one. Maybe there's one on the horizon, but there will be storms. There will be setbacks. You know, it's interesting when I think back to COVID in the last year, you know, I think for some of us, not only was COVID a setback, but it's almost like it was such a great setback, a great storm, this incredible thing that began to happen to us that it actually began to expose other setbacks that we weren't even really aware of. Maybe we thought, well, this relationship's not the healthiest it could be, but it's not terrible. And then COVID shows up. And then you're there in the house with those people all day, day after day, and it never stops. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't know that I can do this anymore. And it's kind of funny to joke about, but then you begin to think about it. You're like, yeah, it's, it, it kind of started to wreck the relationships. What Jesus is saying, he's saying these things will happen. He's saying, pay attention to this, understand this. What he's saying, he's saying, hey, there will be setbacks that show up, but they don't have to blow up. And there's a way to prevent that from happening. You know, what's interesting is you, you think about these two tables here. Let's just consider these two tables as two different people, living life, going through the rhythms and the grind that life brings. And um, inside their life, I've got rocks. I'm gonna throw these out in the crowd in a minute. If you catch one, you get a free donut on your way out. Just kidding. But life, everything that is in life is in this pot. This represents the life. And so you've got um, your employment, you've got school, you've got your school friends, you've got your neighborhood friends, you've got your, your hobbies, you've got vacations, you've got the places that you eat, the food that you like. And I recommend that it's Tex-Mex because chips and salsa till the day we die is always the best way. But everything in life, the choices you make, the habits that you uh, live out, that you carry out, everything that you are is here. 
living life on a firm foundation. And over here, you have the exact same thing, the same person living the same way, a lot of the same hobbies, still eating chips and salsa, doing all the things that that person's doing. You know, what's interesting is both of these people can look a lot alike. On the outside, you might think they're living the exact same thing. On the outside, they, they could actually be sitting in the exact same row in the same church that you attend and look the same on the outside, doing some of the same things. But one is choosing faith. The other is choosing control. You see, you can choose faith, you can choose control, but you can't have both. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see because what he's saying, he's saying there's a storm that is going to show up. There's a setback that will show up in your life and the rain is going to fall. The streams are going to rise. The winds are going to blow and beat against that house. He says, but the one who listens and puts into practice the things that I say is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And so when that storm shows up, it's on a firm foundation and its house is going to stand. And he says, but there's those who listen, they hear, they don't put into practice. When the rain falls, the streams rise, the wind blows and beats against that house and they hear, but they do not put into practice. And he says, as the storm shows up, they're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and great was its crash. Sorry about that. You know, some of us have found ourselves here, and I don't know what this maybe represents for you, but what Jesus is saying is he's saying it doesn't always have to end like that. It doesn't have to be like that for you. He's saying, I have ways that I'm calling you to live that will protect you from that. And I don't know what that represents for you. I don't know what storm or setback is specific in your life. Maybe it is your marriage. We're gonna talk about that in a few weeks. That's what this series is all about. It's all about recognizing specific setbacks and understanding how we can make a comeback in that setback. And maybe for you, it's your marriage. And when your setback is in your marriage and your marriage needs to come back, there's some steps that we can take. We're gonna take those together. Maybe for you, your setback is not your fault, but it's the fault of someone else around you setting you back. It's a storm. And you feel like this is where you are as a result of maybe what someone else has done. Maybe for you, it's a setback in your career, in your job, in your work. And you're like, man, this is what it's turned into. It's a storm and it's been devastating. I don't know where it is for you, but for today, what I want us to think about is I want us to think about what about the storms, what about the setbacks in our own lives that are self-inflicted? What about the times where we choose our own way? We say, you know what, I think I know better. I'm gonna do it the way that I wanna do it. I know, that, I know that I've been to church and it says live this way and to trust this way, but I'm not sure that that's really the way for me. So I'm gonna kind of go to do my own thing. And then the storm shows up and you find yourself here. What do you do? What do we do? What do I do? I want us to look at a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 33 really quickly as we think about this idea of self-inflicted setbacks, because we've all experienced it. I mean, if we're being real and honest today, we've all been here. So how do we recover? How do we respond? How do we make a comeback 
in our lives. In this story we're about to read, it's a story about a guy named Manasseh. Manasseh was the son of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was an incredible leader, godly man, righteous man. He had brought the nation of Israel. He had brought the people of Judah into a place where God wanted them to be. He had destroyed and cleaned up a lot of the false idol worship. And so things were going really, really well. And then Manasseh shows up on the scene and we pick up the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse one. It says this, it says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. Now, can we just pause right there and just think about this? 12 years old. I have an 11 year old who will be 12 this summer. I'm not letting that dude rule anything in my own house, much less a nation. Manasseh, he gets to be king. So he's not, he's not just in charge of keeping his room clean. He's in charge of an entire nation. But here's what's interesting. This is the part that I, I just have a hard time wrapping my, my head around. 12 years old, becomes ruler of a nation. Why? Well, you became a ruler in these days of a nation when the king before you was your father and he passes away. I would say that that's a setback. I would say that's a storm. And notice Manasseh's response in the storm. It says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, this is a guy who grew up knowing the things of of God, understanding some of the things of God. His dad was a man of faith. His mom was a woman of faith. So he had understanding. He knew the things about God. And yet immediately after King Hezekiah had brought the people back into focusing on who God is, trusting his ways and doing all that he commanded them to do, Manasseh shows up on the scene, he does the exact opposite. It says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord disposed before the sons of Israel. It continues on and says, for he rebuilt the high places. So he's tearing down what his dad had built up and he's rebuilding the high places, which his father Hezekiah had torn down. He also set up altars for the Baals and made a sherem. And he worshiped all the heavenly lights and served them. He's allowing everything around him, every culture, every person, he's allowing the outside voices to sneak into his mindset and begin to lead and direct his life. He's choosing control over his own life rather than faith in his heavenly father. And so he begins to worship all these other idols, all these other gods. It says he built altars in the house of the Lord. He built altars in the house that was set up for the worship of the Lord and the Lord Lord alone, his name only. And he begins to build altars and idols. He says, my name shall be in Jerusalem forever is what the Lord says. Continues on in verse five. He built altars for all the heavenly lights in the two courtyards of the house of the Lord. Assyrian worship began to consume Manasseh. He's worshiping the stars, the sun, the clouds, the moon, everything. He's beginning to worship and he's building altars to worship the heavenly lights. Heavenly lights, that's what that means. Says he also made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery and dealt with mediums and spiritists. Now, can we just pause right here and just just all agree? When you start making your children walk into the fire, you've gone a lot further than you ever desired to go in your life. You know, as I reflect back, if I was to go back with Manasseh when he was 12 and say, hey, Manasseh, what do you want your life to be like? What do you want people to say about you when you're gone? What's your bucket list? I don't think on his list of things, his goals, he would say, I hope that I kill my children in a fire. But it's the results 
of him continually running from the goodness of God. You see this throughout Manasseh's life. It continues on, it says this, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. God sees this, he understands it. You can't understand fully the love and the grace and the mercy of God until you understand the wrath and the anger of God towards sin, towards disobedience. Disobedience. It says, then he put the carved image of the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and his son Solomon, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, it continues on, I will put my name forever. He's making a promise. He's saying, my name will be with you forever and I will not remove the foot of Israel again from the land which I have appointed for your fathers. If only, so he's saying, you will always be okay. What he's saying, he says, He's saying, my presence will be with you. And as long as my presence is with you in the land that I have given you, then you will always have my protection. But it's conditional. In this passage, he says, if only they will take care and take care to do everything that I have commanded them according to all the law. That sounds really similar to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. The law, the statutes, and the ordinances given through Moses. He's diagnosing the problem. Continues on, it says this, so Manasseh encouraged Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. I think we can all agree that Manasseh has absolutely lost his mind running from God. He's gone places he never probably desired to go. His life is in a place that he never anticipated it would be. I mean, I kind of feel bad for this guy. As I read this rap sheet, I mean, I look at this and I think, man, Manasseh is not a guy that I'm inviting over for dinner tonight. I mean, hide your kids, hide your wife. Like, this is not a good dude, all right? We're not bringing him over. And I began to reflect because we just read nine verses about the insanely destructive life of Manasseh. And then I just began to pause and I began to think about this for myself. And maybe this is somewhere for you to just kind of go for a moment. What if somebody followed me around for a week recording, documenting every single thoughts, every single conversation, every single action, when I'm alone and when I'm with people all the time? What if they did that for you for the last week? What would people see? What would people experience? I don't know about you, but I I begin to feel really uncomfortable in that moment. I begin to feel really exposed. I mean, maybe, maybe for you this week, there was that moment driving down 290 and homeboy cut you off. And how dare anybody cut you off when you're driving in the fast lane? That is your lane. Nobody else is supposed to be in your lane. So what do you do? You tell him how he's number one. You show him the state bird of New Jersey. You say a few choice things to him. And that was just as you were pulling into the parking lot this morning, all right? That wasn't wasn't even last week. That's a little bit ridiculous, but let's think about that for a second. I mean, I struggle with some things. There are times in my life, and it seems like in the last year, it's been worse. It's like I've been more sensitive. Maybe you can relate. My insecurity can rage a little bit more. And when my insecurity and my worth and my value and my my reason for living begins to kind of get shaken, or I think maybe it's unstable, I can begin to find myself in conversations that are unhealthy, being overly critical of something or someone leading to words or statements that don't bring life, but bring death. And then when I think about it, just a few weeks ago, I stood on this platform and I talked about being salt and light in the world that we live in. I talked about good gossip. And since then, did you know, Mike, I confess to you that there have been times where darkness has come out of my mouth. 
destructive things have been said. I hate that about me. But it's so easy for us to fall into that trap because that's just who we are. We are flawed and we are gonna stumble. Manasseh finds himself in this place where he's been running from God, not for weeks, not for months, not even for years, but for decades. You know, there's two, two reasons people run from God. The first is, is I think people just have this natural tendency. This is part of our brokenness as human beings to just drift. We just kind of drift away from the goodness of God. We don't have a plan. I mean, nobody's gonna wake up in the morning and say, wow, I feel so close to God this morning. It's, I can't believe this happened. This is amazing. This is a miracle. Because it doesn't just happen like that. It happens when we take some steps. It happens when we're intentional. But it's not just when we're intentional. It's intentional in the places and the spaces that we allow ourselves to rest, to stay, to sit, to hang out. A couple weeks ago, I told my wife, I said, Brandy, I've got to lose some weight. And she said, you're right. No, she didn't really say that. <laughs> Which, by the way, fellas, just, just while we're on that topic, if that ever comes up and she ever says something like that to you, like, hey, I, hey, hey, honey, I think I need to lose some weight. Listen, your response in that moment is a matter of life and death, okay? You never agree, never affirm that, okay? But in that moment, I said to my, to my wife, I was like, I, I really need to lose some weight. You know what's interesting is I have said that for the last two and a half years, over and over and over and over. You see, it's not enough to want something. It's not enough to desire to be different. It's not enough just to want to lose weight. We've got to be intentional to put ourselves in a place where we begin to experience that change. I love Mrs. Baird's cinnamon donuts, the little small ones, you know, the, the grab and go bags. Don't bring me them this week, I'm telling you, because I'll eat them all in one sitting. I legit will go to the grocery store to pick something up for my wife like once a year. And when I do, I'll go by there and I, I always find myself in that place, the donut aisle. And there's miraculously always a bag of Mrs. Baird's cinnamon donuts sitting on the shelf. And I know that dinner is gonna be ready when I get home in like 15 minutes. And I think to myself, no, 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 yes, 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 yes. And so I throw them in the basket or I throw them in my, in my cart and I get to the checkout counter and I'm already eating them. I'm like, man, if I start now, I can have every single one of them eaten by the time I pull up in the driveway and Brandy will never know. Why does that happen? Because I put myself in a place to go down the aisle where those are going to be. We have to be intentional about where we're putting ourselves. And you know, I think there's, there's something happening in our culture right now. There's something happening with us as even maybe you've been in church for a long time. COVID took every rhythm and routine and habit and schedule and calendar and said, hey, watch this. Just threw it up in the air. Let's see where this lands. And I think our tendency is to just say, hey, we'll just see where it lands. And I think some of what comeback season is, is it's an opportunity for us to say, hey, hang on, I need that. And I need that. And I need that. And I need this to go right here. And I need that to go right here. And I need to have a plan. And I need to be intentional. And I need to put myself in a place to continue to trust so that I'm not gradually drifting, running from the goodness of God. That might be the comeback that God is calling you to make today. That's one way that we run, but here's where I think maybe Manasseh's story goes. And I just gotta say, my finger is throbbing right now. <laughs> I don't know why. 
We're going to make it through, though. Some of us run because we drift. But I think maybe in the case of Manasseh, maybe in the case for some of us in the room today, our reason for running is because we've experienced an incredible tragic event, a setback that we never saw coming, that was painful, that hurt. And I think that's what we see for Manasseh. I, I, as I, I began to reflect, and I just, I've been thinking about this story for the last few weeks, and I started thinking about what this was like for Manasseh. I wonder if Manasseh got to a place right after his 12th birthday where he discovered that his dad's life was over. His father, who loved God, who trusted God, who followed God, who didn't run from God, and even led other people to God, his mother who trusted God, had done all these incredible great things. He had amazing respect and love and desire to to support and to, to follow his father. And all of a sudden his father's gone. And I wonder if Manasseh went to this place because as I read this text, as I read all that Manasseh was doing, I sense a lot of anger a lot of resentment towards God because I think in that moment where the, the, the bottom fell out, the storm showed up, the setback arrived, Manasseh responded, he said, God, if you are so good, then why did this happen to my dad? And immediately he made an intentional route to go far away from his heavenly father that he could possibly go because he was hurting. Here's what I think maybe happened. Manasseh knew a lot of things about God He knew people who knew God, but I'm not sure he knew God. And I think we see evidence of that in just a second. See, it's not enough to just be in close proximity with other people who know and trust God. God doesn't have any grandchildren. God has sons and he has daughters. And I think some of us get stuck relying on the faith of our parents, relying on the faith of our friends and what God is saying to us today, saying, hey, you need to come back to me. You, you need to come back. You've been depending on everybody else around you and I want you to simply come home. And I wonder if that's where Manasseh maybe found himself. Whether it's the death of someone close to you, the divorce or the breakup of a family that you thought would never be broken up. That was the case in my life. And I can share more on that story some other time, but there are things that happen and they shake us to our core. And Jesus tells us that those things are gonna happen. He's saying those things don't have to destroy you. Look what happens in verse 10 as the story goes on. It says, so the Lord spoke to Manasseh. Manasseh is losing his mind. I mean, he is going psycho Billy Ninja in his life. So the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. He's speaking to all of them, but they paid no attention. You remember, we just read that God was angry. So even in his anger and his, his frustration, his disappointment and what his children are doing, he still chases after them. That is the goodness of the God you and I have an opportunity to serve. He still wants to run after you. He still loves you. He's still choosing you. And he's saying, hey, come home. What happens? They paid no attention. And they continue to choose to live outside of the presence of God. And when you choose to live outside of the presence of God, you forfeit the protection of God. That's what Jesus warns us about in Matthew chapter seven. So look what happens in verse 11. Therefore, the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them. And they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains and led him to Babylon. Man, this story takes a crazy turn. God's protection begins to remove itself from these people from Manasseh and those that he's leading and they find themselves captured, defeated. 
Manasseh goes from being someone of royalty and honor and prestige and leadership, and he becomes a prisoner, drugged away by the enemy. The enemy always comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to rob from you anything that the goodness of God has provided for you in your life. And when we fail to trust, we fail to seek and chase after him, and as we run away from God, this is where we find ourselves. Nobody wants to be there. We think, I need more freedom. God's ways are too restrictive. But every time we choose to go our own way, we always find ourselves more restricted. We see this in the life of Manasseh. But in this moment, Manasseh has an opportunity because he's been here before. He's been in this kind of a storm 55 years earlier. He was was in a place where he had an opportunity to say, God, even in this storm, I trust you. Here he finds himself in another setback, another storm. And his response is different. And here's why I want us to see this as we kind of land what this is all about. When we find ourselves in places of self-inflicted setbacks, these are the steps that you and I can take. The first thing is simply this. Look what it says in this next verse. Remember the goodness of God. We see Manasseh do this. When he was in distress, I mean, he's overwhelmed. That word literally means to be wrapped up, to be bound. He's got no hope, no chance. He appeased the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. I mean, this, he, he is in the most rock-bottom place he's ever experienced in his life. This word appeased is a little bit confusing for us, but what that word literally means in the original Hebrew that this was written in, it means that he was sick, he was ill in the face of his God. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a place where you were so overwhelmed with the shame and the regret and the guilt of some self-inflicted wounds and you thought, man, there is no way. This is, I I cannot believe I've allowed myself to be here. That's where Manasseh finds himself. And it's in that place that he remembers his God. He remembers the goodness of God. And so what does he do? He humbles himself. He humbles himself. He recognizes, you know what? My ways are not as good as I thought they were. My God's ways are better. He recognizes that, and in that moment, he humbles himself. I mean, just, just think about this for a second. I, I, was, I was trying to wrap my mind around this. This dude seems so far gone. He goes from being king to being prisoner, hopeless. And he finds himself in a place where he finally recognizes God's power is better than my power finds himself in a place of humility. Humility always precedes healing. It's a place where we get to where we say, I can't win this battle on my own. Listen, today is a, is a day for you to maybe see that and to know that your comeback could start today, but it starts when we find ourselves in a place of humility. Once he remembers the goodness of God, he quickly responds to the goodness of God. This is his next step. He responds to the goodness of God. And look what it says. It says, when he prayed to him, so when Manasseh calls out to his heavenly father, when he prayed to him, he, being God, was moved by him and heard his pleading. You see this incredible compassion and grace and mercy on display. God was moved by him and heard his pleading. And he yelled out to him and said, hey, bro, listen, before we do anything, we need to talk about some of the things that you've done. I've got a highlight reel we're gonna watch and you're gonna have to explain. He didn't, he didn't do that. It says immediately he brought him back. This is Manasseh's comeback story. In his humility, he responded. And when he responded, God moved 
and God did what only God could do. Manasseh had no power, no ability, no chance. This was a, this was a dead-end street for Manasseh, and God brings him back to where? To where he was, to where he was ultimately supposed to live. He brings him back to the life that he was called to live in the place that he was called to live it, to the kingdom and to God's presence. Then Manasseh knew. You see, I don't think he knew the goodness of God for himself. He knew it through his parents and those around him. But in this moment, Manasseh knew that the Lord was alone God. That he got it. His eyes were open. And as his eyes were open, he responded. And as he responded, he was restored. And then the last thing he did is he began to rebuild his life on the goodness of God. Now, for the sake of the time and for the empty stomachs that you might be experiencing right now, you need lunch. As I was preparing for this this weekend, I just realized this, we're not gonna be able to even spend any kind of adequate time here as we need to. So here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do. I'm gonna ask you to go read the rest of the story. Read verses 14 through 16. I'm gonna jump on the internet this week and we're gonna have a, a conversation and really kind of unpack some of this because some really practical steps that you and I can take to begin to rebuild on that new foundation that God has set up for us. You see this in the life of Manasseh, but let's kind of land this today. Manasseh is running a wild, intense, crazy race away from the goodness of God. And in his distress, in his moment of devastation, he had to have this thought, my life is only a result of my self-inflicted wounds. And when it looked like it was over, with God, it was the perfect time for a comeback. And I think the same is true for us. Listen, I don't, I don't know what your last week has looked like. I don't have the highlight reel, the low light reel. I don't know what the last couple hours have looked like for you. But I know that if you found yourself in a place like this, there's an opportunity for you to come home. God wants greater things for you than we even want for ourselves. As we were talking about this, I was having a conversation with David Rudd, who plays in the band up here. Some of you know him. And he introduced me to this Japanese art called kintsugi. And I struggle saying the name, but it's called kintsugi. And this is what it is. Kintsugi is a Japanese art form where they take gold dust or resin uh, or even silver sometimes. And what they do is they begin to piece pottery back together, broken pieces of pottery. They're fused back together with the gold or the silver. In some cases, there's entire chunks missing from the pottery that will be filled completely with the gold. And the whole idea behind this form of art is that it actually highlights the brokenness. It highlights the cracks. It's the cracks and the brokenness that actually bring the value of this specific kind of art. It's through the careful addition of this gold or silver that makes this more valuable, more beautiful than it ever was before it was actually broken. As I was thinking about that, considering that, I, was, I couldn't help but to think what an incredible picture of what God does for us, what God did for us through Jesus. You know, when I look at this, some of you are looking at the mess. Some of you are living in the storm or the setback and you think to yourself, there's no hope. There's no way this comeback story is a possibility for me. Jesus had been saying this. God had been saying this for hundreds of years. 
because he knew that every single one of us struggled with this. Every single one of us find ourselves this right here. At some point in our life, we recognize this is my best case scenario when I choose to live for myself, trusting my own control. And it's, a, it's not a fun place to think about. It's not a fun place to even talk about now, but it always leaves us broken, frustrated, and confused. But Jesus did what only Jesus could do. He came and lived that perfect life. He went to the cross. You might've heard about this recently because we celebrated it last weekend. And we celebrate it every day of the year because he lived the perfect life and he went to the cross and his body was broken for us on our behalf, in our place, so that he could do what you and I couldn't do. Are you struggling with feeling valuable right now? There's someone who gave his life for you. There's nothing more valuable than that. That's the ultimate price. His blood was poured out. He was put in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, and he came back to life on the third day. Why? It was his grace, it was his mercy that allows us to be put back together. Because see, here's, here's what God does. When we humble ourselves and we cry out to him and we respond, he takes us and he puts us back together. He takes the pieces, the brokenness, and some of it, he says, no, 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 I wanna, I wanna hang on to that because there's, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of strong things about you. There's a lot of gifts. There's a lot of abilities. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of life ahead of you, and I wanna hang on to those things, and I wanna put those things back together, and he takes the pieces, and he fuses them back together. That's what Jesus accomplished. Why? Because his love is strong for you, and then what he does when we humble ourselves and we cry out to him, he restores the foundation with Jesus being the cornerstone. And he puts us and restores us back to the place we were originally supposed to be. To live the life that he set us up to live. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the goodness of God. And I know that for some of us today, you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, Wes, but I've got wounds. I've got baggage. I've got scars. I've got self-inflicted pain. And you may have some of that. You've experienced some of that. So have I. But Jesus filled those wounds. He filled those cracks and he healed them. And they're not open wounds anymore, but they're scars. And you might think, no, hang on, Wes, I, I, don't, I, I don't like scars. Scars aren't, scars aren't good. I, I, I know that I have scars. I don't like scars. And some of us even get to a place where we know we have them. And so we get stuck in the doom and gloom of the prison cell in Babylon, disconnected from where we were supposed to be, sitting there thinking there's no hope for me. There's no way that the goodness of God is there for me and can rescue me from where I am to take me back to where I was but it's the scars that are proof. You see, setback scars are proof of God's healing. And so when you think about your scars, you think about some of the things that maybe you've experienced, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's part of the story that God has written with your life. It's the scars that show where I've been, but it's not where I am anymore. It's the scars that show who I am and whose I am. 
It's the scars that tell me that I am valuable, that my life has worth, that it has weight, not just with the people around me, but with my heavenly father whose love is unconditional for me. It is the scars that prove to me that the same power that put me back together is available to me today to live in this place on purpose, fully surrendered to my heavenly father. Why? Because of what Jesus did. And just like Jim Nance said, when Tiger Woods was about to putt that final putt, he said, many doubted we'd ever see it. Maybe you feel that way. You said, you know what? Everybody's doubted me. Everybody said, we'll never see him make a comeback. But today could be your day to return to glory, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything Jesus did. How will you respond to that? Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for who you are. And right now, I just pray for boldness and for courage that every single one of us would be capable of taking the next right step that you are calling us to take, to trust you. God, I pray for comeback stories to begin to be written right now in this moment, this week, online in this room. Listen, if you're here today, I just want you to look up at me if this applies to you. If you're here today and you would say, I don't know Jesus. I know people who know Jesus. I know a lot about Jesus, but I don't know Jesus. I've never really trusted Jesus. But today, I finally realize that I'm tired of being in this mess of my life that I've made for myself, and I'm ready to trust Jesus. If that's you, would you just look up at me? If that's not you, don't make eye contact. It's going to get awkward. (laughs) But if that's you today, and you say, I am ready to trust Jesus today, would you just look at me? see eyes. Listen, your next step, if that's you, and you're looking at me right now, and you're saying, I want to trust Jesus today. Your next step was Manasseh's step. You simply are called to respond. How? With humility and trust, calling out to him. So right now, just in this moment, you want to take that step to trust Jesus for your life. Just tell him, say, Jesus, I've made some mistakes. Tell him that. Jesus, I know that I've come up short. I know that I've sinned, and I'm sorry. Thank him for forgiving you. Thank him for dying on the cross for you, doing what you and I weren't capable of doing for ourselves. Ask him to rescue you. then ask him to show you how to live from this day forward. When you fall down, he's gonna pick you back up. Thank him for that ahead of time. Your comeback story starts today through Jesus. He always brings you back. God, we thank you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, we're gonna close out our time together. We're gonna take communion together. It's one of the ways that we practice humility because we realize and we remember that Jesus did what you and I weren't capable of doing for ourselves. And so for some, for you today, you just prayed and asked Jesus to be the boss of your life for the very first time. So this is different. This is new. This is a new step. But here's another step I would like for you to consider. If you decided to trust Jesus today, 
the baptism pool is ready. And I know some of you were on the fence last week. Maybe today is the day that you take that next step to let the world know that Jesus is your everything, that he's your boss, that he's your king. We have everything you need. You didn't come prepared, but we're prepared. We've got the clothes, the towels, everything. The team is ready. And for some in the room, today is that day. Today is the day you take that step. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us, but his ways are higher than our ways. Would you trust him today and take that step? If that's you today, in just a second, I'm, gonna, I'm about to hop off this stage. I might even bring a rock with me. I'm gonna walk right out these doors. I'm gonna walk right back here. Ian's standing back there. Bobby's standing back there. If today's the day you wanna get baptized, you wanna take that next step, we wanna celebrate that with you. So I'll, you might be the only one in the room when we stand up to sing, but if that's you, I'll go with you. I'll walk back there with you. And we'll celebrate that for the rest of us in the room. As a follower of Jesus, let's remember Jesus through communion as the band sings this last song.